0: Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going?
1: It's going well. Yeah, we got uh, out racing this weekend, or I did, I guess. You were logging large miles on your feet.
0: Yes, very, very tired Monday morning here at Consummate Athlete Headquarters. DW also a little tired. He spent a lot of the weekend running around in the mud and the rain. So good, good active weekend all around, I'd say.
1: Mm -hmm, Which is a good tease about our our, uh, guests today, I should say. Um, But yeah, we were racing at the Ontario Cup mountain bike race this weekend
0: yeah your first race of the season
1: it was and it was a big one even though it was the first race i wanted to do well so it was good it's the weather sort of fell apart for the our race so it got very very muddy which is not my specialty i've gotten better over the years but uh it was
0: just not muddy enough for you i think because you sort of are good if it's dry or if it's just like horrific conditions where there's a lot of running involved so i
1: had it turned to snowing and we had to run like we didn't have to uh, run. Some people had to run, I guess, you know, it gets muddy and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I, I rode well, but Sid, uh, Slotgrove, who uh, is also a consummate athlete. So, I mean, it's tough because I also, you know, coach Sid. So that was good, but, <laughs> uh, it's always good when you get beat by athletes, you coach. So there you it's go. It's
0: true. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like that's like a great advertisement for your coaching. I guess.
1: I mean, mostly Sid is, comes from like a downhill background is just probably the best rider in Canada, potentially, as far as technical skills, you know, so there you go. But, it was a good race and that's that's why we're there and uh not unenjoyable. It was a little crummy at times, but uh yeah, we got out in the weather and, and moved around.
0: Not unenjoyable for you. It was <laughs> primarily unenjoyable for me once the rain started sure. coming. But that's that's and good fine. to see that's everyone. Racing.
1: Good to see everyone and the community was all out and yeah, really good. And and for the younger kids it was mostly good weather too, so uh mostly very good weekend.
0: Yeah, you've you've started to make me nervous, though, about my my A race of the season is also literally the only race that I'm signed up for this season. So now I'm kind of a little stressed about that, like getting the first race out of the way. I'm like, oh, no, my first race is the race. But I think, you know what, I'm not the type of person who really needs like the first race to necessarily kind of get through the, the A race. And I mean, I guess... More realistically, the the ultra or marathon plus space is very much just like your own race. There's not really a lot of that like competition type stuff that you really need to be uh, prepped Mm -hmm. for, I guess.
1: Probably depends, right? There's always a spectrum. You know what people are good at, what they're limited by. As you say, the the type of event, who are you and what you're trying to do is what we come back to. Um, You could always jump into like a little weekly thing or a 5K or.
0: I could do that. Yeah. Anyway. We'll say, <laughs> Or
1: even just sometimes I think even for a lot of people that train alone, it's sometimes just getting out with other people at least takes care of that social and like, oh, they're pushing a little harder on the climb. And if you just go into it, like embracing it as if it were a race, I, I think for a lot of people, it, it takes care of a lot of those nerves and you could say pack skills or whatever.
0: For sure. Yeah. But I mean, I think today's today's guest would argue that really just like getting out and, and spending a lot of time out in nature and moving as much as possible is going to be my my best thing to do right now.
1: Yeah, p- potentially. I think I think it, to augment your training, that's certainly we have Katie Bowman on today.
0: Back on the podcast. That's right. Katie was one of our like first big guests that we were so excited to get. I mean, just going back, this would be like four or five, six years now. I remember recording that first podcast with her. I think we were like hiding in the closet at your mom's house Mm -hmm. because we happened to be there at the time. Yeah, trying
1: to get the best sound quality. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and and Katie is a biomechanist and an author. She has... very popular website as well Um, and a blog when blogs were big katie says was the original blog Uh, you can also follow her on uh, instagram as well to get sort of these bite-sized little bits about movement but her big thing is you know embedding movement into the day she talks about stacking movement which is a phrase i I often use and steal uh but it's this idea of you know can we go for a walk with our family and get you know errands done or listen to a podcast or do a call or or these sort of things as part of it but also just how we're sitting throughout the day how we're you know do we sit on the floor when we're watching tv uh and different exercises we can do as well but um yeah really really like a lot of what katie says
0: hey oh uh yeah and i mean i think before we get into it this is a little bit outside of like the normal realm of maybe sort of that endurance sport mindset of you know when you're training you're training and then the rest of the time you're you're sort of resting and recovering and Mm -hmm. or just like back to your normal life and i think that's the way a lot of athletes with nine to five jobs kind of approach training and thinking about sport and activity is like, this is my training time. This is the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. I think Katie's perspective is actually super interesting for those of us who are in that mindset. We certainly fall into it a lot of the time. Uh, But just remembering that like, no, like the actual like healthy long life is also a lot of those everyday movements and just Mm -hmm. kind of working any of that stuff. And I mean, we always say so many of our injuries that we see with athletes come not from racing or riding or running. They come from picking up your kid or picking up the groceries wrong and right. suddenly your back's out. And I think a lot of what Katie talks about kind of helps avoid that happening. And
1: it's interesting. I think in some ways what she says is it might catch cyclists off guard because some of it is, you know, walking a bit more or, you know, doing other things other than cycling so that you don't end up looking like a cyclist, which might sound offensive, but it's, you know, you don't want to be hunched over and have neck problems and feet problems. Uh, and this is a lot of the minutia that she talks about eh. Is things like, you know, we're, our feet are in these tiny little shoes, you know, often with a raised heel, really narrow toe box. And then we wonder why we end up with plantar fasciitis as we get into our 40s, 50s, you know, if we haven't been walking and, and do, you know, we've always been wearing a heeled shoe, including men. You know, this often men sort of like assume we're talking about uh, women in high heeled but this is every shoe is uh, a, a high heeled shoe, right? A right. raised heel. So this is some of the stuff. But this book, Katie has several books, many books. I think this might be 10. Um, and, and this book in particular is very readable, bite-sized pieces, little chapters, little essays on different parts of your body. So as cyclists, you know, probably the neck and, and the, the knees maybe, or neck and the feet might be, uh, ones that we look at, but they're all little nice things that let you look at, you know, how we're sitting during the day, our environment, but then also provides uh, very quick and, and often very, uh, doable exercises that we might include throughout the day as well, if we are struggling with one of these areas.
0: Perfect. Yeah. And right now, listeners can actually get 25% off the book, Rethink Your Position, if you head over to nutritiousmovement.com to get it. So the code is RETHINK25. We'll include that in the show notes. But I mean, you know, always a fan of when we can purchase a book via the author's actual website versus Amazon. And I mean, bonus, 25% off. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely head to the show notes and check that out. All right. Before we get into this episode, quick break to talk about one of our favorite sponsors, Inside Tracker. So, if you've been listening to this podcast for, oh, I don't know, four or five years now, like we've been using Inside Tracker for a very long time. I think actually, I was looking back at my results. I think my first blood tests were actually from 2018. Mm-hmm. So, that's. Yeah, five years now uh, of being able to kind of track all of these different biomarkers and sort of see where I'm at, see what's what's a little low, what needs a little bit of work. And I think Inside Tracker is just the best way to just have the most convenient experience of getting a bunch of blood work done all at once. Sure. Just no muss, no fuss. If you get the mobile blood draw, oh my gosh, so easy. Right,
1: and in Canada, I believe you have to get the mobile blood draw Mm -hmm. uh, as part of that. But for a lot of the busy folks we work with, this is actually really good because, you know, when you start adding up the time it takes to go to the doctors, get the requisition, go to the blood work, go back to the doctors, you know, your three trips maybe potentially, right? This could be a full day or more of work. You know, and I don't know how childcare, you know, factors in. So we've done this a few times where it's, you know, we we even have breakfast cooking, and you know, the person shows up, they're lovely, and they take the blood, and then we have breakfast, and it really isn't that disruptive to the day at all.
0: It's a little disruptive to DW. I'm not gonna (laughs) lie, but otherwise (laughs) things are things are great.
1: And then the other piece that I really like that you know, again, is hard depending on what type of setup you have with your doctor is the online uh, comparison, right, where we can look at blood work, we can upload past blood work you've maybe done with a doctor or another service, and and then you really have the This nice you know graph of what is your baseline and that's really our next level with medicine is moving to this you know not just the norms for uh you know everyone on average but also you know what is your normal you know over your life Uh, you know of getting blood work
0: i think it's helped both of us actually even with our doctor because they can upload the csv file so like the actual like data file from inside tracker you can send it to your doctor and they can upload it and then boom they have all your blood work and i Mm -hmm. think it's actually helped both of us get then further blood testing or like follow-up blood testing done via our doctor so if you're someone who maybe struggles to get that stuff out of your doctor this is kind of like the best first step I can possibly recommend to just kind of getting your doctor moving on checking things right, out. Right, right.
1: There's that where the you know the doctor's hesitant, perhaps in Canada because of just you know the universal health care. It sounds good, but then sometimes you can't get the blood work that you you want to get. Um, and then also some folks don't have doctors. You know they cannot get access to doctors at this time. You know just with shortages and so forth. So that's it's another option from
0: that perspective. And I think there's just so many sneaky biomarkers that a doctor wouldn't necessarily think to test, but if you're you know getting kind of all of this this full sheet done at once it sort of really saves a lot of time and and headache trying to find that one thing because it's like, boom, it's all tested at once. And actually, since May is Women's Health Month, Inside Tracker is actually adding an upgraded ultimate plan that includes three new hormone markers that are critical to measure during a woman's reproductive and menopausal years. So bonus, uh, f- all during Women's Health Month here in May, InsideTracker is not charging for these extra hormone markers. So this is the best time uh, if you're a woman kind of hitting that, especially, you know, heading into that perimenopausal menopausal time of life I think this is a great time to to get tested and get these bonus markers done for sure. And for a limited time, consummate athlete listeners can get twenty percent off of Inside Tracker's new Ultimate Plan, complete with estradiol, progesterone, and TSH. Those are the three new hormone markers. Well done. I know, I'm so proud of myself for that one. All right, you can head to insidetracker.com backslash consummate for 20% off. You can also just use the code consummate at checkout. Again, that's insidetracker.com or backslash consummate to get 20% off. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. All right, with that, let's get into this awesome episode with Katie Bowman. Enjoy.
1: What I like to do especially when people are returning just you know find out what you've been up to over the last you know week and month uh you know you do so much so I'm just always curious to know you know what's a day in the life right now for you
2: um well I am living abroad in Central America with my children um who are it's been seven years since I've been on your show so I just think about that of where was I seven years ago so my kids are now 10 and 12 So I had little kids who needed a certain daily life and there was a big focus on the way my life was set up at that time because we really made movement pretty central. Um, you know, lots of, um, you know, my furniture free house, you know, like it was a big thing that I was talking about quite regularly and, uh, setting up work environments for more movement, but then kids get older, right. And then, um, there's choices. You know, I know you have athletic audience and people are always curious to know, like, did I choose to put my kids into athletics? Um, and you know why I made certain choices around that. And uh, so I'm, I am in, like I said, we're living in a place that's pretty different than our normal routine for a short period of time. We're actually here all studying Spanish. That was uh, really important to us on our parenting manifesto that we had t- sort of a minimum two different ways of thinking seeing the world through different languages, because a language is so much more than the words. It's like a way of of engaging with concepts around you. So I wanted us to have have that. But then also what's really interesting in Central America is how much more movement has stayed intact here versus in North America, um, where a lot of movement has gone away quite recently. So it's been nice to walk the walk, so to speak, of a movement-rich life that isn't because of choice for health, but because it is the lifestyle um, of the people that we are in community with here. So so that's been exciting, and it's been exciting doing it with preteens. So that's where I am right now.
1: Okay, Literally and figuratively. (laughs) Well, the environment, you know, that's a big part. uh, Since we've last spoken, I think the environment you know pos- i would say it has to be partially influenced by yourself but also you know some different movements in the coaching and sport coaching world you know the environment shapes so much of of the choices we make the actions we take the things we perceive um so that's that's really interesting that you've you know gone on on this adventure to try and find different different things um i think i you know i wanted to ask about <laughs> I guess I'll just ask the simple question that's in the top of my head. Is, so did you, are your kids playing any organized sport, I guess? Um, they, are.
2: You, they are. They are. I mean, okay. that's, that's interesting. I mean, like, that's an interesting decision because I don't think, you know, I come, like, I'm a biomechanist, you know, for those listeners who don't know. Um, so I was involved, you know, I spend a lot of time in kinesiology departments at uh, university. I was, I was moving through my college career and undergrad and graduate school. So I work with athletes and, and I have been an athlete, but, um, I've never really been a team sports person. So I definitely am more drawn to the individual challenge of bettering myself through, um, races, you know, or just running or just setting myself up. Like I want to run 10 miles. I want to run 20 miles. And, like that sort of, of, um, way of, of, of getting that element of life in my own life. But my husband is a, a football player, soccer player, um, for years and a very good one. And so he was always really like, of course, of course the kids will play soccer, you know, um, and his point wasn't so much about the athleticism of it, which comes naturally to him. Although he definitely needs that as an outlet, both the physical part, but the competition part as well. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that it's, he said it's, um, it's a, it's a language of engagement with people around you that opens up the world. He is not, his parents, um, are, um, immigrants from Ireland. And so, He's moved around quite a bit in different parts of the world. And just one of the things that he realized was being able to engage in this particular team sport was a way of um, connecting with people instantly. And it certainly paid off. We came here and it's like I could just see my kids drop right into this common thing that they shared, which is football. And football, you know, not football, the North Americano, but but uh, yeah, soccer. Right. Um, and, and, and I was like, he was like, this is what I was talking about. You know, it's this idea that you automatically fit in sort of <laughs> with the kids around you. My hesitation, I would say for team sports had to do with the mechanics of spe- early specialization for mm-hmm. kids and then, um, overly organized, take orga- overly organized play, um, taking up the space of, free play, free movement, like explore your own type of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, so we haven't really engaged in like the register for fall soccer, you know, that sort of way of doing soccer. Although we have, we have done it. It just, um, it's been more organic. We started up um, a family soccer game like once a week where it's mm. all ages and all levels. That is a much more like how it occurs here. It's It's just less of a, Pay for it. Wear a uniform. Do it at this particular time. It's more free flowing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, will we still call. It, I mean, we would still call that sports, but it looks it looks a little bit uh, different. And then, of course, my kids really liked. Um, skateboarding and, and, and scootering and, and like, you know, and and just like that self mastery through a particular sport, Mm -hmm. mountain bike riding things with wheels, you know, are always sort of fun. That all being said, that foundation that we established before we went to sports was in sort of like, it's sort of like choosing to teach your kids, exposing kids to a pal, like letting them set a palette for food that's not junk food first. It's not, and not to call sports junk food, but just, just, Bear with me for a second. The idea of boring foods that aren't as hyper palatable, right? The idea that you are okay eating foods that sort of nourish you, even though they're not very jazzy or, ta- or super tasty, right? Not everything has to be ice cream and chips and like fun food. So they have a, they are totally fine, equally going on a 10 mile hike, You know, Mm -hmm. they're they're like, so they have a a robust movement diet. And so I'm glad we did it in the way that we did it, which is not made sports the sole way that they got their movement, but made sure that they had a competency or exposure to do the things that they wanted to do um, a little bit later, because now it's, it's made us able to just, we're here. And so like walking to school, five kilometers a day is a lot of movement. You know, a lot of, I think parents would say like, I could, my kids couldn't do that. Not that they couldn't physically do it, but because it would be so boring to a kid. And, right. and frankly, there's plenty of adults that won't do it because it's boring also. Yeah. Um, they're like, I don't want that to be my movement. And it's like, well, that's just transportation. They will get their fun movement. I mean, the kids play soccer for two hours a day just you know in that sort of competition so so that's the way we did it and i'm and i'm happy with the way that it turned out
1: Hmm. i think maybe a good segue from that would be you know you're sort of talking a, a very you know specific for kids Ah, uh, growing up, you know, exercise versus movement. And I know this is, you know, sort of fundamental to your work, really, is this, you know, differentiation. can you can you run us through that just to update? you know, the the podcast we did seven years ago also has it. but, you know, maybe yeah. you're thinking maybe you're thinking's changed in seven years too. you. Yeah, that's a lot to happen too. But what is exercise versus movement?
2: right. So movement is the broadest category of like anything that you're doing physically that changes the shape or the loads within your body. So it's very general. It doesn't say anything about what activity you're actually doing, you know, even um, walking on concrete versus walking on the sand are different movements, right? It's about the loads that are being created. Exercise is a subcategory of movement and within the exercise box are things that you're doing uh, specifically for um, improving your physical fitness. And then there's a set of characteristics that makes it exercise and that you've uh, pre-planned the duration like you're doing it for so many minutes or hours, you're doing it for so far, right? Like, like I'm going to go on a 20 mile bike ride. Um, you are monitoring, you know, you're, you're doing it like, and not only am I going to do it for this long, I'm going to do it this hard, right? There's an element of determining uh, the intensity level, like it, it counts at a certain intensity level, but you wouldn't count it as a at, some, at, at something done at a lower intensity. Like if you're not riding your bike up a hill really fast, like if you're on a beach cruiser gonna go, you know, pick up something at the grocery store that wouldn't necessarily meet the qualifications of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's still, I mean, those are the clinical definitions, right? Like it's not, there's not much uh, adjustment in there. Um what i do talk about now is the new category it's not a new category the category has been around Um, i just haven't talked about it as much because it gets a little bit more technical and that's the the category of physical activity which is also used in public health research so like there's the big circle movement there's a smaller circle inside of that which is physical activity physical activity in order to be physical activity It has to be movement that causes you to expend um, more calories than at rest. So it's about musculoskeletal Mm -hmm. use and some sort of energy expenditure, although it doesn't have to be a tremendous amount. So so walking to work, doing your own yard work, doing chores around the house. It's how many METs, METs, metabolic units, something uses. And then- exercise actually is a type of physical activity. So not only is exercise a type of movement, it sits within the circle of physical activity. Mm -hmm. And then the one other example I throw out is that physically what you're doing is not necessarily different. You know, like you riding a bike for five miles at 60% heart rate max for the purpose of training and you riding your bike, that same distance, same terrain at 60% heart rate max to the grocery store, the physical adaptations aren't different based on where you sit within the circle. But your intentions about it um, are. And the reason it needs to be differentiated is um, many people don't have an abundant amount of leisure time and exercise is by definition, a leisure time activity. So in public health, I think athletes and and, and people who've trained in exercise for a long time have managed to carve and maintain a portion of their life dedicated to leisure time and the activity they choose to that leisure time is training. But many people do not have um, leisure time. And so, and as leisure time goes away for more people and that group is like more at risk for moving less, it's like, how do we move more? And it's like, well, you put back into life sort of the movement of active transportation. So it's interesting being here in a place where almost nobody exercises, but, but um, they're walking five to 10 miles a day Mm-hmm. carrying, carrying um, lots of manual work being done here, building things and, and their physical benefits might not be a little bit, the, the physical benefits of their bout of movement is the same in some ways, but that the reasons they're doing it and the pressures on doing it are, are different. So, you know, as a, someone looking at the science of movement, those distinctions are really helpful. And then they're just helpful for like the athlete going, Man, I would love to move more, but I can't figure out how to get away from my family to train more. You know, right. and it's like, well, you well, you could actually be moving more um, and and cross-training, so to speak, by moving more in your non-training time. You don't have to touch your training time. Your training time can made, mm-hmm. can continue to be what it is. But you could actually maybe dedicate more time to the peak training experience if you did more of your. Recover, so-called, you know, recovery movement or cross-training stuff in your daily life by choosing how you play with how you use your body in that space.
1: That's right. Yeah. No, and that's one thing. Try and push, especially you know, the new parents and those, 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 yeah. where, where the 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 free time, the the time for you, gets just compressed uh, is definitely that, you know, maybe even after a workout, you know, you're maybe only out for 40 minutes only, and and then maybe you're back and then you can be a, do a family walk to the park and, you know, you're carrying probably a kid or two and, and accessories and everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to, as you would say, stack it a little bit more there where on your way to the park and, you know, the dog's getting a walk and the kids are outside and you're in nature and you're having fun together, but maybe there's, you know, we could pretend, you know, there is fitness benefit. There is, you know, certainly all around benefit to that.
2: Yeah. Benefit to the fitness of your body and many other things that also need to be fit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I love that. I love that concept. We use that all the time. Um, so, I mean, you do have this, this new book is, is rethink your position. And so where does this fit, you know, in, in, you have nine, I think other books or nine with this book, excuse me for not knowing the the number. Maybe you I don't track. even
2: know. No, I've, I've lost track. So we, you're good.
1: <laughs> so, so where does this one fit? What is the, you know, what are you accomplishing with this one?
2: Yeah. So again, as a biomechanist, my, my, my truest interest in movement really started with, Uh, assessing the smaller things like the alignment of your body parts like how all of your body parts stack relative to each other why this matters certainly um you know most athletes are aware of their mechanics being sort of linchpin to um their ability to train well or compete well you know there are there are uh, consulting biomechanists i mean you're your gear is created by a myomechanist, right? The reason the bike looks like this and the new bike has got this feature on it is because someone has figured out like, this will uh, enhance the forces that are created by using it. And then of course, the other part is you yourself are bringing a particular shape. Like you can have the best bike and you can have the best shoes that have been like all set up to enhance your particular sport but you yourself are um, part of the mechanical levers that are producing your movement. I mean, that should be obvious, but I don't know if it always is. I think we tend to think, I've I got a body. This is just the body that I have. It's just the shape that it is. And I'm going to get into this gear and this gear is going to help me move the body that just is better. And my point is, your body is actually quite malleable and you've got all these hinges and levers that probably no one has ever showed you that they're one adjustable or two, how to adjust them to maximize what it is that you're trying to do with your body. So that is my, it's my, I'm going to say passion here. And like, and I don't even mean it in sort of like a uh, kind of way. Like I, I really, I love it. And I think I'm good at seeing it and then um good at explaining or just introducing this idea of like so much of your physical experience, whether it's, during your performance, or it's how you feel after your performance, or is, or if it's after how you feel after performing for thirty years, relates to how you have been toggling all of your individual parts because you are a single body, yes, but you are also made up of much uh, smaller, adjustable bodies. And I'm not even talking about cells at this point, like I did in move your DNA. I'm talking about the levers in your body. So this book was going back to, you know, my book before and the last couple have really been about the thing that we were talking about stacking this idea of movement, your movement diet overall, and and looking at how to make your life more movement rich. Um, But I've gone back, I would say to where I started writing books was back to then Like, let's not forget also though that these levers can be toggling. Um, You can do that. Um, And so it's a book of, it's a book of that. It's a book of essays because I don't know about you, but I feel like life has really accelerated in so many ways. Um, Life is accelerated. So I feel like my reading time, I used to read so much more and read more slow it's also maybe I have kids at this age, but it's like you know you have work and a kid, and you're also trying to train your own body and like you know mm-hmm. and do all these particular things. Um, so the idea of of being able to 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 learn something that enriches myself in a short essay form is nice. It's a complete thought, but it's also a little bit deeper than like learning off of Instagram. Or like these other super short forms where you get a really superficial level of understanding. Mm -hmm. That's not like it's too complicated to teach on social media. Like there's a lot of accounts like trying to teach stuff and it's great to expose it. But we sort of need to go back into the longer form of learning a little bit so that we can understand an idea past its surface and see some of the nuance but at the same time we have less time. So, so essays is my, essays is my answer to that, right? It's like the middle of the road. Cause I like it. I'm going to use the word toilet reader right now. And I don't think anyone that's not a category at Barnes and Noble, but it's this idea of I'm going to take a few minutes and just like think about something I'm in my chamber where no one else is going to come and bug me right now. And, and that's, and that's what it's written for. And it just goes head to toe. It's organized. I yeah. usually, all my, all my other books have started of been feet first to the head. This time I went head to feet and that was on purpose. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 180.
1: <laughs> you turned it on its head, so to speak. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was, it was great. And I, you know, I'm a kinesiologist as, you know, as well, I guess. And, you know, so I, I'll read it, you know, I'll go pretty deep and I understand, I, I think pretty well, but uh, a, I would say I appreciated the, you know, head to toe organized and short. Um, I also learned a few different things around the pelvis and the the sacrum. I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is I to learn learn more. So you hit both ends of the spectrum, I guess, uh, with that. Um, And so I thought, you know, from here, you know, okay, we've talked about the book and it's head to toe. And I thought maybe we'd go through some more like cycling endurance things that I found interesting within it and problems that I'm having with clients and clients are having personally, I guess, Uh, if you're game. Yeah, um, yeah, we got to talk about something. So here we go. Sure. Um, so the, the first one, this one, I guess is, is sort of, I I guess it's for me, you know, I found the concept that your shoulders, uh, were, you know, sort of connected to your hips and the hip pain, and maybe even, you know, lower than that was really, really interesting. And, And shoulders and neck and stuff is just like, that's like a cycling thing. So I was wondering if you could talk us through a little bit like this, this neck, uh, you know, sort of shoulders and how they're connected to everything.
2: Oh, gosh. Well, let's talk about it. Let's make it as practical as possible. So let's talk cycling. Um, Mm -hmm. Cycling is one of those interesting. It's an interesting sport where the alignment of the sport of the upper body isn't as like optimized as it is the lower part of the body. The upper part of the body isn't really propelling. So it's like, you don't really focus too much on the alignment of that part because the lower body is doing the work. So you think about, you know, where your knees are and where your feet are. There's a lot of heavier loading going on in the lower part of the body. But if we stripped away the lower part of the body and just looked at what the upper body is doing, like you're practicing that just as much as whatever you're doing with the lower part of the body. And it's, um, sort of the idea that i brought up in move your dna which is we tend to think that parts that aren't moving vigorously aren't moving but they are being moved on this on the cellular level right like on the way of like what's holding tension what's being pushed and held in this one particular position of cycling so cycling if your upper back I can use technical terms or I can use non-technical terms. So I'm going to use kyphosis and lordosis first, but then I'll say what I mean. So like that upper back rounds forward, right? So that upper back rounds forward to be able to meet, you know, where you need to be able to hold with your upper body. That's called kyphosis. That's a kyphotic curve, but it, it tends to make hyperkyphosis, right? Like this extra round curve on top. But then you're also what would be natural for the neck with that much hyper, hyperkyphosis is to look at the ground, but you can't look at the ground while you're riding. You have to look forward. So what you do is you increase the curve at that junction, right? You not only have hyperkyphosis, you now have hyperlordosis at the same time just to be able to look forward when you're on a bike. And so, and you're strengthening it and you're strengthening that curve. You are you are practicing and stiffening your body into that position. And you get these changes within, let's just say the spinal curve, but then you also get the change in all of the musculature that has to adjust to accommodate that position. Mm -hmm. So I always think about it. And have you ever seen the uh, movie triplets of Belleville?
1: Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. So
2: what I love about that is sort of the hyperbole of the cyclist moving off of the bike. If, I don't know if you remember, you might not have seen it. If you're a cyclist, you're like, Oh, this is just a normal oh, no. way. <laughs> right. I
1: think mo- most people say it, it may be, it's getting older too now. So we'll, we'll yeah. put a link in the show notes to at least an image of, of what you're thinking about.
2: Yeah. Here. Right. And it's, again, it's sort of posture hyperbole, but not really. What happens is like the more that is, especially when it's your sole form of movement, right? So imagine that's the food that you eat for your movement diet is cycling, then the body starts to adapt into that shape. Like you are more optimized for cycling than you are for say mm. walking. Yeah. Mm.
1: And it's interesting cause we will say a lot of times and this is usually around like you have to eat and support your, don't try and lose so much weight. You gotta know, fuel your sport. And we'll say like, you know, over time your body will start to look like a cyclist.
2: <laughs> I guess, sure.
1: you know, careful what you ask for, I guess.
2: Well, and that's right. And so we, you know, the body can adapt, like we're so adaptable like that you can change into the shape to become a better cyclist. The issue is though that it's at a particular cost to other tissues. And at a certain point, these stress risers that you create to do your sport are the places that you break. And then, so like, I always assume that if you're a cyclist to the point where your body has sort of become cycle shaped, then cycling is your flow. It's your jam. It's your passion. So to to prioritize doing other things around cycling so that you can continue to cycle. It's not to take you away from cycling. It's to add more cycling to your life farther out. It's really hard to do things now when the payoff is farther out. But when the consequence comes farther out, the thing that's in your body and your head is like, I wish I had done what I needed to do. And I can say this from experience, you know, like, when I have a back injury and I know it's because I didn't do my things that keep my, it, it's, I only regret it after the fact. And so yeah. it's, it's a, it is tough to muster a, a time and energy to dedicate to your future self, but that's what we're talking about right now. So if, if anyone's ever worn bifocals, right, you put them on your eyes and you have to lift your chin up a little bit to see out the bottom of them. And it creates pain in the neck. That's what cycling is. Cycling is, a much longer, stronger version of looking through the bottom of your bifocals. And so in this book, I was just going, there are some things that you can do. One, when you're on the bike, you don't have to go so deep into the bike posture. You can do this thing we call head ramping, right? Mm -hmm. So that you are working on your future self while you're actually cycling right now. Mm -hmm. Bonus. Um, And then there are some things you can do when you're watching netflix that also are better for your cycling later on by how how you're holding your head but the primary thing is just recognizing that you have an option when you're holding your head that's Mm -hmm. the new idea that that i don't think everyone realized like this is just my shape and it's like sort of but also it's malleable and and we're responding to loads all of the time and you have a lot more control over your loads than you realize
1: I love it. Yeah. And definitely the book, I'm a bit of a fidgeter at the best of times, but uh, I love the book because it it sort of motivates you, you know, as much as a book (laughs) these days can to, you know, get up or what do you mean? That's how you hold a suitcase. And I'm like, "Ah, that's not how I sold a suitcase. (laughs) And, you know, you're up trying things. So I think that's a a really great feature in the book. Um, you, You are talking here. I love, you know, this idea of you know, during the day, also, a lot of us are essentially cycling at a desk or right. you know, on, on our, you know, our phones or something, you know, maybe a little bit, we're looking down there at least, but at least, you know, when we're at our computer screens, it might be a very similar posture we're adopting. So can you just even make, if we're looking about, you know, things that we can do off the bike, if the bike's fairly fixed, uh, can you speak it through? Is that what you're thinking about sort of the computer posture? Or what if you know, I guess, where, where would you go first as like a primary, like, do this to help? Uh, yeah, you
2: know, well, again, it's a, it's with this like general idea of a movement diet, like you are what you eat, you are how you move. How much of your movement diet looks like you on the bike? So there's the time that you're on the bike, 100% looks like you on the bike. When you're at your desk, if you're or if you're driving in a car, it's still kind of bike like, right, your hips are still flexed. you might still be rounded at the upper back, and you might be hyper extended at the cervical spine, right? you're carrying that in. That's just the shape. But the muscle patterns can sort of be the same. Obviously, on your bike, your legs are moving; they're producing work and blood flow. When you're sitting, they're not doing that. But as far as the hip joints are concerned, the pressure to uh, your, you know, where you're sitting upon, um, and then what's happening in your neck, your arms are out on the computer, out in front of you. You know, you're not doing things that look wildly different with your arms and when you're on your bike. So when you're like, wow, seven to 12 hours of my day look like I'm on the bike, you are clay, you are molding yourself into the shape of the bike. And the thing that I'm trying to get a- across is the body has a non-bike shape for a reason. Like the function of so many things, like even the space, Like so let's just talk about upper upper body curvature. Why, why do we care if there's hyperkyphosis? What's the big deal? It's just another spine shape. And the answer to that would be like, you have to think about what's happening when your spine curves forward, right? The spine, upper spine is embedded in the rib cage, also in your rib cage are your heart and lungs. When a spine collapses forward, it's collapsing into the thoracic cavity. The spine is now reducing the amount of space you have within your thoracic cavity, which means the ability for your heart and lungs to, like you're encroaching on the space. So it's not just an aesthetic thing, it's a mechanical thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like, so I think we're, because the way something looks feels so superficial, we forget that it's also about the way something works. And the hinges of our body, like the ranges of motion. Like that's what I was trying to get across in this book. It's like, it's not about aesthetics. It's about function, about other parts that maybe didn't relate to your cycling that you didn't realize. You know, right. these the tissues, you know, like we forget that we're animals and that we forget that we've got sort of this biology going on because we become we've been able to overcome so many problems, so to speak, that we think our biology is just one other thing we can sort of troubleshoot and replace and hack. And while we have made you know, great strides in that way, I know from working with a lot of athletes and working for a lot of people just in general, as they get older is, is in the same way, a car that you have, or some other mechanical device that doesn't regenerate, um, has worn down by because of the way you took care of it your body is the same way and the challenge with athletes is the athletes like but i'm doing the thing i'm doing the care right you told me i need to i so you you are doing the care of some systems but there are other parts that are not being oiled like the parts of your spine that get oiled when you unkyphosis right like you are you're, you're using so much in one direction. There's like an erosion, so to speak of some areas and other areas atrophying. So it's just mm-hmm. about going the body itself needs some basic care and the sport doesn't need it. Right. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. A sport is a specialization of movement. And so anytime you're going to specialize, it's like eating a single food again and again and again, it doesn't matter if it's the most nutritious sure. meal that you can put on the plate. It doesn't cover all the nutrients.
1: I love it. Now, if you were going to give uh, more of a an exercise, then, you know, we're talking about, okay, maybe, you know, there's something in the setup of the computer. So people can mm-hmm. read the book to find out about that and look more into, you know, ergonomics and design of workspace and that sort of thing. If you're going to give a, a therapeutic exercise of some type, where would you go with that? Um,
2: I, well, for cyclists, it's just head ramp, learn the head ramp, and I'll teach it to you right now. You don't know, even sure. have to get the book. You know, it's this idea that all right, you Your upper body is on the bike or or just even if you're just standing, you know, the fact that your rib cage is is sitting in its neutral position. And then you're going to without lifting your rib cage, without moving your spine, you're going to lift your head up towards the ceiling. And it's it's not back. It's like up and back. Right. So your head actually gets higher. And when you do that, you decrease the kyphosis of your upper back and you decrease the lordosis of your cervical spine all at the same time. You can do that when you're driving your car. You can do it when you're watching TV. You can do it when you're looking at your cell phone. You can do it when you're walking around at the grocery store. It's a move that's totally portable, and you can use it at any time. But you are now creating forces that nourish the parts of your body that cycling is not kidding. And you're strengthening yourself sort of away from falling into the cyclist shape. And then the other thing for cyclists is really – you need hip extension. You are missing vitamin hip extension. The leg, the thigh bone is never going behind the pelvis. Mm -hmm. And I put a whole chapter of the pelvis. The pelvis is again where my graduate work was in. So I love the pelvis. The pelvis is where so many important parts are of your body that again... Don't necessarily relate to the musculoskeletal system. I and mean, we all have our pelvic health in general. There's there's pelvic organs in there um, that, that really do affect the quality of your life, you know, overall. Like we don't think of things like um, sexual health. I mean, we certainly do sexual health, um digestion, you know, like really basic functions. It's like these can be affected by the inability to extend your hip right? So, Hmm. so, you know, just because as I try to explain, it's like, you've got these glutes here, but the glutes are holding the sacrum, but the sacrum is holding the pelvic floor, the pelvic floor is holding the organs, like in the green grass grows all around and around. It just keeps going like that. So it's Hmm. this idea that your body needs hip extension for the sake of your knee joints and your hip joints and your sacroiliac joints and your pelvic floor. So, so that would be something like, getting out when you get off your bike going like, you know, I rode my bike for five miles or 10 miles or for 40 minutes or for 60 minutes, I need to do 15 to 20 minutes of walking. But don't think about like walking more exercise. I need to do 20 minutes of something that stretches my leg out behind me.
1: Exactly. Walking. Yeah.
2: Walking or swimming. You know, I mean, that's the idea of cross training is like, you're tucking yourself halfway into a ball all the time. And even if you ride mountain bikes and you're standing up a lot of time, great. Your leg's still not getting back behind you. Go for a walk because that's going to be a big part of your recovery right there. That's going to stretch out the psoas, the iliacus, um, the rectus femoris, right? These are your three main hip flexors. Cyclists have big problems with their hip flexors. How do, <laughs> you know, they want to stretch them all the time, but they don't want to do another movement activity that just lengthens them on their own. Okay. Right? You can, you can do targeted stretching, but, but do something that uses the backside of your body too.
1: Well, and again, I love it because it's easier in my mind to walk, you know, more fun than stretching sure. too, right? And
2: you have a dog or if you have kids or you need to go to the store, like it, it's not that it's better because you need the stretching too. It's that it fits into other areas of your life that also need to be, that need training and practice and fitness. Love
1: it. Yeah. And that's been, I was resistant to getting a dog. We've got a dog since we've last spoke. Um, okay. And it's definitely, I mean, he has to go out and he knows he's, it's his routine. He developed, I come home and he's barking when I done my ride and he wants to go outside and, you know, he does a sniffing. So while he's sniffing, I'll often do like a lunge stretch or or something like that. And then we're walking around at his, you know, <laughs> however he wants mm-hmm. to walk that day. Uh, so it is sort of built in. And I do like that again, that gets to your environment and your, you know, your, who's around you, your community, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and, and setting the movement. Um, in line with that, and this will be a segue, you have a a great quote that I actually highlighted here that walking was the best thing you could do for your entire body, as it's free functional, and it moves a lot of your parts at once pelvic floor included. So maybe as a segue, do you want to just because I thought that's uh, a few of our listeners will be very interested to hear just about how walking relates to, you know, periods and menstrual pains and all these things. Could you just touch on that? I know it's a massive topic, get the book to to, for more, but (laughs) just maybe share that experience.
2: And, And men's pelvic health, too, as well, right? Like, so, Um, I, I, you know, I, like I said, I specialize in this in graduate school and I talked to so many men who didn't even know they had a pelvic floor. Like that was a question. Like, do I have a pelvic floor? I'm like, you do. The the main difference between male and female is that females have a hole in it essentially, but men have pelvic floor too. And many men deal with pelvic floor pain and tension. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. one goes out to everybody. Um, so, I mean, the glutes. The strength of your butt muscles are a big part of, of how the pelvic floor works. So if you think of um, agonist and antagonist muscles, like the fact that muscles are paired where on one side of a joint, you know, the muscles will pull the lever towards you. On the other side of the joint, it's the opposite. The same goes for the pelvic floor. The agonist to the pelvic floor is the glutes, and the lever in between them is the sacrum. So you've got... Uh, that back and forth. If, if you can imagine, I know people are listening. It's like, if you look at your, your biceps um, as moving the lower arm towards you. And then if you, I guess we're in space or didn't have gravity your triceps would move the lower arm away from you. So you've got this back and forth in between your pelvic floor and your glutes where your sacrum, which is the triangle shaped bones that sit um, at the bottom of the kind of the vertebrae or the longer parts of the spine you know, like when you get up and move around, uh, your, your, your pelvic floor is always having to work, right? It's always sitting under the load of your, of your guts, of the contents. And so it's always having to deal with that load and tightening underneath that load. And what, what keeps it from getting to the short intense position is that the glutes on the other side, every time you take a step, if your leg, if your leg swings back behind your pelvis, gives you a glute contraction, which pulls the sacrum back out so that you don't get a muscle. uh, You know, muscles don't work really well when they get very, very tight. When the sarcomeres are so overlapped, they can't generate force any longer. They can be short and tight, but they're not strong anymore. So it's this idea of, of your, of the strength of your glutes, of the number of repetitions that your leg is going back behind you as being something that's working in conjunction with this other muscle that, again, isn't so much of a fitness muscle. I think for runners, they're probably more tuned into their pelvic floor because when this problem comes with pregnancy, perhaps, or just a longer duration of time, you start to notice red flags of like, wow, my pelvic floor isn't keeping things like closed. Like it's not holding my organs in, or it's not closing my bladder or anything like that. So you start tuning into like, wow, this muscle isn't working in the same way where where if you dropped a pencil out of your hand all the time because your bicep stopped working you would probably do more about it like we sort of normalized the pelvic floor not working where where we would look faster you know for something of our limbs not working Mm -hmm. so again walking is one of those things where it's very easy to um balance out the amount of time we we use our body in a way that's not that supportive to the pelvic floor, like sitting or cycling, you know, where, where the, where the muscles that would balance out the function of the pelvic floor are, are left unaddressed or it's the way that I want to say it is there's tension patterns that are created through repetitive lack of hip extension that increases the chance for you to have this weaker pelvic floor. So it's just, that's why I like it so much because one, it solves a lot of, it solves a lot of public health issues that are mostly like metabolic, right? Like overall, the biggest thing that we're dealing with as, as a population is metabolic issues. People aren't even moving enough to keep from having like diseases of the heart, like blood sugar, lungs, like sure, and basic that's a- stuff.
1: A- athletes included, even with their 60 minute window, right?
2: Yes, right. Um, so, like, for me, like, that's why everyone's just like, if you just walked, like, they found like the shortest walk can bring your blood sugar down, but people just aren't doing it. So, like, I, I, and that population, it's clear why it's so essential. But I would even go to the athletic population listening to this show now to say, like, it also. It's like a whole different movement food that you haven't been eating, and it's a movement food that you can use for transportation, time with yeah. others, recovery, cross training. Right? It's so it's so portable and accessible, and and I mean accessible in the in the sense that it fits everywhere. And and if it you know it's like people are like I don't have time to take a walk, so be it. If you only had so much time to work out, do your jam. But you wanted to. Spend more time outside, go visit your parents, spend time with your kids, go hang out with your girlfriends, like whatever it is, make walking the conduit for that thing Mm -hmm. so that you are able to like easily get your, arm. I mean, like just think about your arm position alone, cycling or even running tight, small, walking, Mm -hmm. long arms, extensions, swinging back, helping balance out some of the strength of your upper body So, so that your movement diet doesn't only look like all right, I'm on the bike and I'm working really hard. And like, okay, now I'm in the gym and I'm working really hard. My arm's behind me. It's like, I know I'm an intense person. I get it, but I have also learned, um, that I can soften sort of the way that I do movement and I don't have to lose my edge.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, you know, in fact, it, it makes me a better mover. I was going to say overall. probably,
1: probably is beneficial. It,
2: it does. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: yeah. Okay, and, and so just to wrap that one up, is, is you found that actually, like uh, pain around menstruation, actually decreases often with with this for many people.
2: Well, for I mean, for menstruation dysmenorrhea that I talk about specifically. Yes, walking, but but it's really making sure the levers that are supposed to move when you're walking are moving first. So there's a lot of correctives in the book, right? Like mm-hmm. I will give you 10 specific exercises because what happens is when you spend a lot of time doing whatever you've done that has made uh, the hips not want to extend, going for a walk regularly can absolutely help. But also giving that those hinges, the muscles of the groin, uh, your again those hip flexors that I talked about before. Giving them some preparation through stretching before you go out will will get you those balancing contractions. So it's it's both. Like we really at this point need some corrective exercises in the same way. Like if you have a nutritional deficiency,
1: you might start um, with a supplement.
2: Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to make sure we get to these three so we don't have to go super deep on them. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll see if we can do it. I, I think. Good luck, Katie. The, 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 yeah. Well, both of us there. Um, so plantar fasciitis, I'd love you just to talk about, you know, and, and encourage the the hamstring element to this. I, it, we have a lot of plantar fasciitis. So go with the hamstring and, and see where you find
2: yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'll, I'll try to keep it simple and short. It's this idea that think about the issue of your foot as stemming from how you use your foot throughout the entire day. and so specifically where you put your body weight of your, of the legs and torso it's resting on the feet, but you have control over where it's resting on the foot. So if you stand up, you'll just, you know, take off your shoes and just stand in your regular old position. You're going to feel most people will feel that the weight of their body, sits more on the front of their foot and the tighter your hamstrings, the more likely you are on the front of your foot at rest, which means you just getting up in the morning, putting your feet down on the ground, making breakfast, walking around at work, whatever you're doing. And if you have a heeled shoe on even more so on the front of the foot and that tension on the center of the foot just can create inflammation and a, and a pull of that plantar fascia from where it attaches on the heel Um, so I talk a lot about managing the forces of your foot through just simply understanding again, that you have the ability to make small adjustments to these, to the levers. And so, yes, it's going to be not only make over the way you stand, you got to back your weight up onto the calcaneus, the heel bone, which is dense and can bear your weight instead of putting all your weight on like the trampoline that is created by this plantar fascia. But in order to do that, you're going to need to be stretching your calves and your hamstrings a little bit, because those tension is part of why your body is sort of being unbeknownst to you, pushed forward. Like your resting posture is based on the parts of you that are strong and the parts of you that aren't as strong. And when you're really strong in one way, um, so it's not about being whole body. There's a we are whole body fit. We are whole body strong. But at the same time, there's parts of us that are sedentary that never even move even during that big workout. And then there's parts of us that are um, weaker for it. And when a weaker spot sits right next to a strong spot, that's gonna be the point that an injury mechanically will arise. And so learning how to hold yourself better and adjust the parts that are pushing you onto the weaker part of your foot, and then strengthening the other parts of your foot that also help you uh, stay back and use the backside of your body more just by standing there so it's a it's a cyclic like you want to you know you want to you get your weight off your the parts that are ailing you and that strengthens other parts which makes it easier for you to stay off the part that Mm -hmm. is ailing you
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's always that balance between what you can do in like exercises versus how the rest of your day is spent uh for sure
2: yeah with plantar fasciitis focus on your whole day foot Focus on your whole day foot. And uh, I imagine, you know,
1: especially when it's flared up, right? Like, there's. oh, like yeah. A, yeah. 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 Uh, and your book, Simple Steps to Foot Pain Relief is one we recommend often. That would be probably the best one if someone was, you know, had foot ankle pain.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a I mean, you could you could pick up rethink your position um, and probably make some good headway, at least an understanding. But Simple Steps to Foot Pain Relief is such a it's just right to that point. You know, it's just like, get me in there.
1: Yeah. 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 Love it. The other one, I I wanted your opinion. This may not go anywhere, but we'll see. It it does seem like, especially in the endurance sport world, there's this big push for, especially around menopausal women, uh, with strength training, I'd say strength training is getting really popular and and for good reasons. And then there's, you know, some mislead thing. I just wonder how that fits into your framework as far as, you know, this, you have to lift heavy, you know, it's the thing for aging. Like how, what's, what's your view on that and how does that fit in?
2: Well, being a pre-menopausal woman, you know, myself, like that is a space that I am in right now. Um, I think the conversation lacks nuance or I would say re- reflects an exercise-centric bias versus the movement perspective that I'm mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to bring forth. That's actually going to be probably my next book. I love um, it. So, and this is something I talked about in actually my book for kids. It's not a book for kids. It's a book about how bodies develop, Grow Wild, which grow is the wild. book that I wrote last yeah. one. Is to recognize that different tissues need different types of movements. So a big issue for women in the pre and menopausal and postmenopausal stage of life has to do with bone health and and, and strength. Like you're trying to prevent strength loss. So in the context of um, People are only going to move for 60 minutes. What's the best? I say 60. People are only going to move for 30 minutes. Like, what's the best 30 minutes? That's sort of what's coming to the pinnacle. It's like if we look at the medical issues that plague people, it's going to be these tissues. And so, therefore, we're going to prioritize the movements that um, maintain those tissues. But we could also expand the conversation, like I will say from experience, mental health is also very important. And being someone in an athletic space who has that background, I know that your sport of choice is often done for psychological benefit as well, right? So, so for someone who's like, but this is my sport, I don't, this is part of my mental well-being, you know, like we don't think of brain tissue on that list. Like, so like you, so there's there's that tissue. Um, and then there is also the idea that as hormones are shifting, you know, that that things like recovery might be altered. So you, we want to do less breaking down movements. And um, there was a, an interesting article that came out in, I think, Outside magazine. And I, I you'll have to forgive me and I can send you the link so you can put sure. it in. if so People want to follow it up where it's a long distance runner who really she's also a bone a mechanics researcher i think where she was like her she realized that training for long runs through long running was was increasing her risk for fracture because there is a threshold to the body in which it cannot improve beyond there's mm-hmm. a point for you know there's like a there's a i mean it's just the idea of homeostasis there's a point at which you could take a tissue where it's no longer good. And she like, it's, it's actually, once you get past a very short part of the run, your body's not even really registering the load on bone anymore and it starts breaking down versus responding. So, so I think we're going to see, you know, women's health is always, isn't as well, hasn't been as well funded or as well observed historically. Hopefully Hmm. those things are changing, but it's my interest to dig into all those things and to show sort of the landscape of we have a lot of options. And at the end, I think it's going to be about the individual, like which tissues Mm -hmm. of you do you need to prioritize? Um, I've had many friends who've been endurance runners for a long time. And that was again, part of their mental well-being. but at the point where their habit became a psychological detriment because the pain or the injury was so great. It's like, just like a nutritionist would look at your diet plan and be like, there's so much of this and not enough of this. If we dial this back, we can still get you the outlet that you need. But with Meaning these other tissue nutrients is better. Like, could we do that? I think it's going to be that sort of, um, specificity that we need going forward.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cause... definitely a complicated question. Yeah. And and I think that's a great way to think about it too, is probably a little different for everyone. And there's a few different ways to go after it, depending on what the the mix is for everyone.
2: What do you want? I mean, like at the end of the like all of this health recommendation is like, what are you, what's your goal? Because, longevity or optimal well-being is some people's goal, but other people like there's the thrill of life and I'm writing this hard. And like, so you just have to know what it is that you're after. And then you ask the question relative to what it is that you want, because that mm-hmm. is going to be determine the answer.
1: I love it. Well, we're getting here to our end of time. We've covered pretty much most of my things. I didn't expect to get through everything, uh, but I love just hearing your thoughts on a bunch of these topics and and previewing the book for us. So the book is Rethink Your Position. It's out on May 11th, 2023. Uh, and if anyone's curious to learn more, they can certainly follow you on Instagram and, and find all your exercise uh, you know, courses and different things, other books at nutritiousmovement.com. And if, am I forgetting anything
2: there? No, you nailed it.
1: Love it. All right. Well, enjoy your time, I guess, down south. Yeah. Thank Uh, you so much. Cool. Thanks, Katie. We'll keep in touch.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.